Father, we believe that your word is inspired. It's God-breathed, not just written by men. Uh, So we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through it. And uh, Lord, give us uh, tender hearts. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. And uh, may we be receptive, not resistant. May we desire to follow you with all our hearts, and may you receive all the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been working our way through Matthew's Gospel. We are in Matthew chapter 15. Last week, uh, we looked at a little encounter that Jesus had with the Pharisees, where they, uh, they said, well, you're not a holy man because you don't wash your hands the right way before you eat. And uh, Jesus blasted them for their legalism. And today, he continues. So uh, the title is, You Might Be a Pharisee If. All right? And um, here's the rest of the text. Matthew 15, 10 through 20. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So remember, they were saying, oh, you don't wash your hands the right way, therefore you're defiled, you're a sinner. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not what you put in your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth, and in essence what he's saying, what comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. That's what defiles you. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? You offended them, Jesus. He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Peter's still back. He's stuck here in verse 11. (laughs) Not what goes in the mouth, but what comes out of it. I don't get that. So, uh, verse 16, and he said, are you still without understanding? NIV says, are you still so dull? So Jesus got frustrated. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? A little biology lesson there for you. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person, but to eat with unwashed hands is not defile anyone. Come on, grow up. It's not your petty little external legalistic rules that make you holy. It's a purified heart. How do you know your heart's been purified? By what you say and by what you do. Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 called the Pharisees hypocrites, uh, children of hell, blind guides, blind fools, blind men, whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness, serpents, a brood of vipers. Uh, that's That's a nest of slithering snakes. And then he says, how will you escape being sentenced to hell? In this passage, he says, stop following the Pharisees. 
My heavenly Father hasn't planted them. These are not God-ordained leaders. Quit following them. They are blind. And the blind who are leading the blind will both fall into a pit. Now you go, wow, why such disdain for the Pharisees? Weren't they just well-intentioned, a little overzealous religious followers? I mean, he just seems to be all out furious with them. Well, let's put it this way. Let's say you bring your little child to a daycare center and you entrust them to take care of your child and you find out that on a regular basis they are abusing your child. Right? Or let's say, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you take your elderly parents to a nursing home to care for them and you find out that they're starving them, and then they're uh, embezzling money out of their bank accounts. You've entrusted the care of these precious people to caregivers, and they're abusing the people you love. Jesus says, I love these people, and you Pharisees are leading them to hell. And there's a time to get upset. You know, people get upset about political leaders. They get upset about corruption in government and in business. But we don't seem to get that upset about corruption in the church. Oh, everybody's good. Everybody has their interpretation. It's okay. Everybody has different ways of doing it. And Jesus says, no. Don't follow them. Have enough discernment to know when to get out. And quit following blind leaders who will lead you into a pit. Come on, wake up. Eternal damnation is at stake here. Quit sleeping, people. And he gets their attention. There is no greater responsibility that anyone can have on this planet than being a leader, a spiritual leader. Um, I always used to think, wow, I'd hate to be a brain surgeon. You've got somebody's life in your hands. Or some of you are air traffic controllers, right? That would scare me. You know what's even more scary? Being accountable for people's souls when they could wake up in hell for eternity. That's why I I do teach a class at Moody called Studying and Teaching the Bible. And there's all these mechanics you can teach of how to study and observe the text and, and so forth. But I do go over this verse. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Please do not think, oh, it would be fun to be a pastor or a Bible study leader or to, uh, to be a leader in the church because I love people and I, I love standing in front of them and giving them my opinion. And um, the church is such a loving place. And wouldn't it be wonderful to be in Christian ministry? You know, there's all these, these motives a person can have for going into ministry. But we better have this verse underlying it all. A healthy reverence for God and the fear of God, knowing that we who teach the Bible will give an account for the souls of those under our care. 
right? So that's why Jesus is so furious with the Pharisees. They were spiritual leaders leading people to hell. Now, he warns us about them. Now, what I want to do, I want to give you three words that describe the Pharisees. And as we go over these three words, I want you to evaluate, A, are you a Pharisee? Right? B, am I in a Pharisee-producing church? Right? Could I be a Pharisee? Or am I supporting a Pharisee-producing church? Okay? And by the way, I had somebody confused, say, you know, Pastor Brian, when you tell us to evaluate the church, we're in Valley Brook. Are you telling us to evaluate? Well, yes, evaluate Valley Brook, but there are also others who listen to these messages. This is just a good, healthy uh, exercise to be evaluating, to have discernment, to know what you're stepping into, or what maybe you've been sitting in for 20 years, or some of you 100 years. <laughs> Am I in a Pharisee-producing church? Okay, so three things, that uh, three words. The, the first word is Pharisees are unrepentant. The second one is they're unauthorized. And thirdly, they're unexamined. Okay, first of all, they are unrepentant. Now, Jesus basically says, um, you're a bunch of external legalists who are more concerned about hand-washing rituals than the heart. And he slams them. And Peter comes up. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? You don't want to offend anybody, Jesus. Right? Does Jesus play the let's not offend anyone game? No. Peter, Peter wants to play it. Now, let me point this out. There is stupid offense where you're just purposely offensive. I hear preachers all the time who think they're um, upholding the gospel, and really they're just offensive. They're just rude. They're just arrogant, and they, they walk around proud because uh, people leave and people are offended at them. And I'm supposed to be offended. Now, it's you that's offensive, um, so this is not saying just offend people with harshness or your personality. Um, but, but Jesus offends them by naming them as legalists and pointing them out. And Peter says, oh, oh no, you offended them. Now what did Jesus say? Well, here's what he said. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Remember, they had judged him for, for not washing his hands before he ate the grain. Legalists are all about ceremony and rituals and externals. Things that you can do outwardly so they don't have to examine their character, their heart. your black, sin-infested heart. So what Pharisees do is they take man-made rules and actually God-given ceremonies, but they love to dwell on the external 
so they can perform the external so it makes them feel good and look good, but they never examine the heart. Right? So Jesus points this out. Now, what should the response be of a truly humble, God-fearing person? Even if you don't first agree with what the other person says about you, shouldn't you at least say, might they be right? Might God be speaking something through this person? Even if they do it in a wrong way, might they be be putting their finger on something. In other words, rather than being offended, shouldn't they be repentant? Shouldn't they be willing to examine themselves? You know, King David, man after God's own heart, he's righteous, but he was not perfect. He committed murder and adultery. His family was a mess. And at one point, under God's discipline, His own son rebels against him and takes over the kingdom. And as David is leaving Jerusalem in shame, here's what happens. It says, when King David came to Baharim, Baharim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually and threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So David is protected by his mighty men. And this little Shimei, I call him a pipsqueak, he's still jealous because he's from the house of Saul and David took over the, and, and uh, defeated Saul. Uh, and this guy's throwing rocks at David and cursing David. And David is surrounded by his bodyguard. Verse 7, and Shammai said, as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Now, um, David has his bodyguard who says this. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. What would you do if you were David? You're the king. You have the authority to uh, execute. Your bodyguard's telling you, let me go chop his head off right now. Wouldn't you want to do it? What does David say? Leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to. And he goes on continuing to walk in shame while the pipsqueak is throwing rocks at him. He was able to discern that the Lord is speaking to him even through somebody who did it inappropriately. And he's humble enough to receive it without being offended. You see, a Pharisee has a knee-jerk offense. How dare you question my righteousness? A humble person says, you know, God, what are you saying to me through even that person? You know, the word um, offense 
It says, uh, you know, Peter says they were offended. It's, uh, it's an interesting word. It's the Greek word skandalizo, from which we get the word scandalize. Uh, in essence, it's saying the Pharisees were scandalized. The same word, but in the verb form, that, that is the verb form, but in the noun form, appears here in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, a scandalon, same root word, to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Remember, the, the Corinthians were saying, Hey, Paul, if you want to grow, you've got to do things the way the, the, the Greek uh, preachers are doing it. See, they're mixing in worldly wisdom and philosophy, and they're getting a bigger following. So you need to do that, Paul, if you want to grow. And Paul says, no, no. I'm going to stick with the gospel, Christ and him crucified. And the reason you Corinthians want to shift methods is because you don't want the gospel to offend anyone. You want a scandal-free gospel. You want to grow a church without offending anyone. And you know what? Today we have all kinds of church growth methods and preaching methods where the gospel is kind of preached, but nobody's ever offended. Everybody loves it. And Paul says, nope, I'm not going to do that. The true gospel is a stumbling block, a scandal on. It must cause stumbling. It must cause offense. You know why? Because the gospel says this. You are bad enough to go to hell. You are a sinner who deserves hell. But God in his love was filleted on a cross to pay the price for your sin. That's offensive. Especially to the arrogant person who says, what? I'm quite righteous enough. I don't need that. I'm a religious, good person. Don't tell me I deserve to go to hell. I'm offended. Never going back there. It's your choice. The Pharisees were offended. The Corinthians were offended. Paul says the cross is offensive. It confronts our self-righteousness. It confronts our arrogance. It shows us we deserve hell, but it also reveals the love of God that he is willing to die on a cross in our place. You know, the, the only way to not offend people with the gospel is to compromise it. And I would say this, if you're in a church where people are rarely offended by the gospel, it's a Pharisee-producing church. You know why? Because people go right through the process, never being confronted with their own self-righteousness. They may hear about Jesus, they may hear about his life, they may hear about his death, they may hear about everything, but they're never brought to a point of repentance, therefore they enter in 
full of self-righteousness and arrogance, and they're Pharisee-producing churches. Churches filled with people who have never stumbled at the gospel, stumbled at the cross, are full of people who may be nice suburban-looking people. They might be nice, tax-paying, little league coaching, SUV-driving, good citizens. But if they've never come to a point where they realize, I am damned because of my sin, and I need a Savior, my only hope is Jesus nailed to a cross, if that is not the, their, their life breath, they're not saved. They're suburban churchgoers who are Pharisees. Because they're allowed to to sit there thinking that their own righteousness is good enough before God. So Peter says, oh Jesus, you offended them. And Jesus in essence says, you better believe it. You better believe it. So the first word that describes the Pharisee is unrepentant. Let me give you a second word unauthorized, unauthorized. He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. In other words, God didn't plant them. Yep, they're in a position of religious authority, but God didn't put them there. So here's what you ought to do. Let them alone. They're blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Folks, wake up. Not everybody in a position of religious authority has been placed there by God. They may have the title reverend. They may have the title pastor, priest, pope. What other titles can we come up with? Just because they have a title in a building that says Christian church out front doesn't mean they've been planted by God. There are Millions of self-appointed and Satan-appointed religious leaders. In fact, throughout history, there have always been multitudes of unauthorized religious leaders. Let me take you to the Old Testament. This is um, the time when Israel had two kings, a northern king and a southern king. The, uh, The northern king was Ahab, very wicked king. The southern king was Jehoshaphat, somewhat of a godly king. And Ahab wants to go to war with another land. So he gets together with Jehoshaphat, and he says, hey, you want to join me? We'll put together our armies, and we'll go to war. So here's the interaction. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Don't you think it'd be good before we go to war to check it out with God? Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. So here's all the religious prophets. About 400 men and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not 
hear another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Uh, Jehoshaphat knows something's wrong. When, when 400 preachers all agree, something's wrong. Right? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. So so there's 400 yes men who all say the same thing, and they always flatter the king. But there's one guy, he never tells me what I want to hear. I don't like him, so I I don't even go to him. Jehoshaphat says, no, bring him. By the way, there's another prophet who comes out, and he puts on a show. He, he makes some, some horns, some ram's horns out of iron, and he says, you're going you're gonna to stick it to the other guy, to the, the opposing army. So he does a, a, a drama. Right? So you've got 400 versus this one guy. Well, finally they bring Micaiah out, and at first he, he hems and haws, and he doesn't want to speak, but... Finally, it says, And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. So there's God on his throne with all the angels and demons. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall seduce. Go out and do so. God gives a lying spirit permission to influence all the prophets to lie. God allows it to happen. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth, the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. How do you think that went over? He was in jail. So the rest of the prophets are like, go, go fight. So um, what happens is they go to war, make a long story short, The other side refuses to fight, but one guy randomly shoots a bow in the air, and Ahab, who is disguised in ordinary armor, it pierces the scales of his armor and kills him. He dies, and dogs lick up his blood, as was prophesied earlier. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Pretty disturbing stuff, too, that 400 prophets of Israel, God would allow them to preach lies and deception. Now you go, well, that's unique. This was one time in the history of God's people when all the prophets were liars. It doesn't happen that often. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, by the way, um, Jeremiah says this. This is, this is during the time of Jeremiah. God says, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. I didn't send them. If there's a whole bunch of prophets out there prophesying, I didn't, I didn't give them their message. And then he says this. 
Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. You go, what does that mean? The ESV Study Bible has this note. Quoting each other's false interpretations of God's words and purposes. Interesting phenomenon. Uh, Some of you follow the blogs out there of what the different churches are doing. But there's an interesting phenomenon where some guy who has a big church will write a book or preach a sermon series that catches on. And then everybody's doing it. It worked for him. Let's do it over here in this church. And you can buy your resources and your DVD and your promotional packs. And, you know, you do these series that are supposed to grow your church, borrowing the different sermon series from one another. It was going on back in Jeremiah's time. Borrowing one another's words. Okay. Now, you go, well, that was Old Testament. What about during the time of Jesus? Look at all the false religious authorities there were. First of all, there were the Pharisees. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs, self-righteous legalists, sons of hell. The other leading religious party were the Sadducees. They were the religious liberals of their day. They did not believe uh, in an afterlife. They didn't believe uh, in in, uh, demons or angels. They were the religious liberals, like the people today, who really don't believe in the afterlife. They believe if there is one, everybody's going to heaven. So what should we do here on earth with the church? We should spend our time in social action and political involvement. So there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't believe in an afterlife, so they were sad, you see. I had to throw that one in there. Okay. There were the Herodians, the The Herodians um, were those who were for Herod, King Herod. Hey, let's just, you know, we're going to bring in the kingdom of God with political action. There was the Sanhedrin, the 70 rulers over Israel, who sentenced Jesus to death. There was the priesthood, the corrupt priesthood, Caiaphas, who was over the Sanhedrin, who sentenced Jesus to death. They all had titles. They all had authority. They were not planted by God, though. Unauthorized religious authorities. During the time of Luther, the entire church had fallen into corruption and false teaching. Luther stood up and said, this is wrong. You're teaching a false gospel. And they said, how dare How dare you, Luther, challenge the authority, the unanimous authority of the church? He was right. They were wrong. Let me ask you this. Today, are you sure? Are you sure the religious authorities you're following have been planted by God? You sure? How do you know? they have a title. So did the Pharisees, so did the priesthood, so did the Sanhedrin, so did the prophets back in Jesus, or in, in uh, the Old Testament time. How do you know? Let me give you two questions to ask yourself. One, do you love the truth? 
Why does that matter? Well, let me show you an interesting verse. 2 Thessalonians. Now you're going to go, I don't understand that whole thing about God putting deceiving spirits in the prophets' mouths. I don't get that. Here, it'll be clarified. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. The coming of the lawless one, Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So in the end, the Antichrist will have the power of Satan and he'll do, he'll do miracles. So don't go, oh, that church does miracles. It must be of God. Yeah, Satan can do miracles too. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Now here's the key. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Notice, they're not atheists. They're kind of religious. They want to go to church. They want their religion, but they don't love the truth. They want enough truth to make them feel okay, but nothing radical like I need to repent and receive a new heart from God. Nothing nothing like that. So they're kind of open to the truth, but not too much truth. They don't love the truth of the gospel. So what does God do? Verse 11, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. What? Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned. God allows false teachers to rise up in times like this so people will be condemned who don't love the truth. Why doesn't God do something about it? He does. He raises up faithful people to preach. But you've got to love the truth to find them. You can't just drive by the big box and go, oh, that must be okay. If, you, if your heart has not surrendered to Christ and to his truth, you will be led astray. There are masters quoting the Bible and twisting the Bible to draw a big crowd, and you'll get sucked in like that if your heart is not submitted to the truth. Right? So that's question one. Do you love the truth, or do you just want a comfortable Christian life? Question two. Have you stumbled over the gospel? Have you let the gospel, the stumbling stone, the scandalon, break you of your sin? And have you turned to Christ? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, a scandalon to Jews and folly to Gentiles. You've got to love the truth and you need to be broken by the gospel or you will go to hell. It's a dangerous world, people. We're in a war. We're not on vacation. We're in a war. And to just say, oh, I love my life, and I love my suburban job, and I, love, and I go to a church, and I like the music, and I like the, what the preacher has to say. It makes me feel good. And you go to hell. This is scary stuff. And there are tons of unauthorized prophets who will tell you what your itching ears want to hear. 
are you wise to them? All right, one last thing. Unexamined. Pharisees live an unexamined life. Jesus says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Peter goes, I don't get that. What do you mean? But Peter said, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you, all, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Uh, the Pharisees are all about washing their hands and externals. Now, there were f- clean and unclean foods that the Jews were very concerned about. And in essence, Jesus, it says in Mark that Jesus declared all food clean. In other words, he's abolishing the ceremonial law. He's abolishing the food laws. He's abolishing the external. You want to spend your life as a legalist focused on the external? You're going to be deceived. What matters is a changed heart. And he gets to the heart here. Verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You're all focused on the external, and what you need to focus on is the fruit of an unchanged heart. You know, um, you could divide the Old Testament laws. We've, We've divided them into three in the past, but... All right, there, there's the, the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. Let's not worry about the civil. But let's talk about the, the moral and the ceremonial law. The moral law is that which is morally right or wrong. Don't murder. Don't slander. Don't lust. Don't hate. Love. Okay? To actually live that way requires heart surgery. It requires you to be born again. It requires God to come down and take out your sinful heart and replace it with a heart that loves him. It requires major spiritual surgery. A radical change must take place. The moral law exposes the fact that we have corrupt hearts. If you want to get around it, though, so you don't have to deal with it, Don't focus on the moral law. Shift to the ceremonial law. The rituals and the ceremonies and the practices that religious people do. But you can do them without having a new heart. You can wash your hands before you eat. You can kneel and stand and do this and do all kind of things at at church. You can worship a certain way. You can, uh, you can do all kinds of external things. In fact, one of the questions I want to ask you in connection time, let's come up with a list of all the external things we can do without a new heart. Okay? The Pharisees loved the ceremonial, the external, the rituals, because they didn't want to examine their corrupt hearts. Now, Apparently, I just read the movie The Godfather. Is, it's either 40th anniversary or 50th anniversary. Right? 
never was interested in watching it. Finally, I broke down and watched it, and I don't know why people like it. It's just kind of a disgusting movie, right? But it's a great picture of a legalist. You got mob hits, you got murder, you got crime mixed in with Holy Communion, First Communion, baptizing a baby in a funeral, in a wedding. Hey, as long as we're doing the ceremonies, we can be mobsters. Perfect picture of a Pharisee. So Jesus comes, and he stands up on the Sermon on the Mount, and he changes the game. He says, we're not going to focus on the ceremonies anymore. We're going to focus on the heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are broken by their sin and repentant, because only they will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, not at a funeral, but mourn over your sin. You'll be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because you know you don't have any and you need God's righteousness. You know, you've heard it said, don't murder. I tell you, if you have anger in your heart towards somebody, that's murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Pharisees, oh, we've never committed adultery. Have you ever lusted? Then you've committed adultery in your heart. You've heard it said, if you get a divorce, do the paperwork. I tell you, virtually every divorce is adultery. Now, he does talk about ceremony. When you pray, give, and fast, he says, don't do it to be seen. See, the ceremonialists love to, before they pray, make sure people are looking. Before they give, (coughs) oh, I missed the offering, come here. Right? And if they fast, oh, you could smell them. Jesus says, don't don't do it. No more ceremony. No more show. Do it privately so only your heavenly Father sees you. And then he says this. This is the killer. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've always heard preachers say, well, the people were devastated by that because they knew that the Pharisees had all this righteousness and they thought to themselves, oh, how am I going to live up to that? I don't think that's what this is saying. I think what this is saying is, Their righteousness is a sham. It's all external. You need an internal righteousness, which isn't that hard if you're born again. The youngest person in the kingdom of God has a righteousness that far surpasses that of the external righteousness of the Pharisees. There's the external righteousness ceremonial righteousness that people rely on. That's what the Pharisees were all about. They were afraid to even look inward. 
But those who are humble enough to say, yeah, I've looked inward and I've seen my sin. I've seen my lustful heart. I've seen my hateful heart. I've seen my arrogance. Lord, I'm a sinner. But I understand you died on the cross to pay for my sin. I want that. And when you do that, he gives you two things. One, he gives you his perfect righteousness. He died on the cross to pay for your sins, and he gives you his perfect righteousness. So when it says you need a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you know what? I have that. Pastor, you sound arrogant. No, it's not mine. I have it, but it's not mine. It's Jesus' perfect righteousness. He gave it to me as a gift. So I can stand with confidence before God, not with my righteousness, but with his perfect righteousness, and I can be confident on Judgment Day, not because I'm good, I'm not, but because he's good, and he gave me his righteousness. My righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. But then I also believe he does a second thing. He changes your heart. He gives you a new heart. And that new heart does desire to follow God, not externally, but internally. So he does produce in you a genuine righteousness, where over time you'll start to see the progress. So how do we end this? And some, some of you are saying, however, just end it, right? Land that puppy. All right. Um, <laughs> wasn't that funny. <laughs> How do you end this? Um, I would hope that if you've been sitting here saying, man, I see a lot of Pharisee in myself. I've been banking on the externals, and what I need is an internal heart change. He wants to give you that. He will change your heart. And as a broken sinner, you come to him and you say, Lord, forgive me. Give me your righteousness. I want to trust in you, not in my own righteousness. And that's what salvation is all about. Let's have the worship team come up and let's pray.